Hi, and welcome to another episode of Brave Spaces Roundtable, brought to you by Include. I'm your host, Dr. Dede Tetsubayashi, ethical technologist, social scientist, and founder of Include, where I utilize my lived experiences as a Black, queer, invisibly disabled woman to support organizations' development and investment in equitable, transformative change in their practices, in their people, and in their products. Thank you so much for joining us today, Charlicia. Please, will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Charlicia Joy, and I am the founder of Stapleton Arts. I am an artist, I'm an art educator, and an entrepreneur. Our mission at Stapleton Arts is to inspire Black and Brown emerging artists and art professionals through art education. And so I've spent about a decade in the art education space and have been a practicing artist for over 20 years in my childhood and adulthood. I've worked in many different spaces, such as in the community, rec centers, after school programs, push into school programs, and as a public high school art teacher in the South Bronx. And so that's just a little bit about who I am, what I've done, and my business, Stapleton Arts. Would you please tell us a little bit more about your work at Stapleton Arts, specifically what brought you to this work and the creation of your line of inclusive art materials? Like I shared earlier, I have been a practicing artist for over 20 years. And so I started creating at the age of four. My mom was really big about me and my brother having activities that we could do individually and that we could just really be inspired and enjoy our own company. And so I always gravitated toward creating art and he was more into comics. And so she saw this affinity I have for art and she nurtured that by putting me into different art programs. I was very privileged to have art at my elementary school. There was an art room at my local boys and girls club that I basically lived in. And then she encouraged me to apply to a performing and visual arts middle school, which led me to apply and attend a performing and visual arts high school. And so my formative years was really immersed in creating art. And that was what I always wanted to do. When I look back at my journals, when I look back at my high school yearbook, I always said that I wanted to be an artist. And so from that point, art always informed every decision and every step I made throughout my career. So I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in designing sets for theater. So theater production with a focus on scenic design, and then later got my master's in art education. And so not just the visual arts, but the performing arts have always been an inspiration. And throughout that journey, my formative years, like I said, I was privileged to have access to the arts, but also access to representation. So I had many Black women art teachers. I've had Black men art teachers. I've had a lot of peers who were Black and Latinx in my community. I'm from South Florida. My mom is from the Bahamas and my father is from Haiti. So I'm first generation. A lot of my peers were also Caribbean immigrants, Latinx, Central America, North America, and South America. And so I really was immersed in just different cultures in South Florida. 
And as I continued on my journey in undergrad and higher education, I saw that less and less, particularly in the art teachers around me and in the artworks that was being displayed and discussed and presented in my studies. And so basically coming from such a rich background in art surrounded by people who looked like me from different cultures. And then as I moved up in my career, seeing that disproportion, it inspired me to create Staples in Arts. Because when I started to teach in the South Bronx, my students was from all over the diaspora. So different countries in Africa, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Nigeria, and then, you know, having students from Honduras and Guyana, Mexico, Dominican Republic. So my students were were black and brown. And so I just wanted to create a space to really change that narrative around who is an artist, who can teach art, what does a career in art look like? And so that's what Stapled in Arts was birthed out of. And so that's why our mission is to inspire emerging artists. And when I say emerging, I don't just mean the adult who wants to practice. I'm also speaking about that young child. They're emerging also, and as well as art professionals. So not just the artist who's creating to, to put art on the walls, but who are the other players in the ecosystem. So thinking about the museum curator, the art historian, thinking about the mural artist, and now in art supplies. And so I started Staple and Arts as a community to highlight and amplify the different people in the ecosystem impacting the art world. And as I was doing that, it dawned on me, like, there's a push to support Black artists. And I'm like, well, who's creating the art materials they're using? Just thinking about the entire ecosystem. And so when I started to do more research, I realized that the major companies in the United States who are art suppliers are from families where it's been a part of their family for years where they're creating art supplies and they're well-known and they're major names, or they're companies that are predominated by white and white males. And so I became curious about what it could look like if there was art supplies for inclusive groups. And so the more that I thought about it, it was kind of on the back burner But Melanin Series specifically was birthed out of work in the classroom. And so, again, I've been creating art since I was four, and I've been an art student, had privilege to be at performing and visual arts schools. The school that I taught at in the South Bronx did not have an art teacher prior to me. And so when I started teaching there, I had to build the art program from scratch There were no art supplies. There wasn't even an art classroom designated for me. And so I had to really do a lot of challenging work to change the culture and value of art in that space. And as a result, a lot of my students did not have art for many years prior to me, beyond the fact that there wasn't an art teacher before I got there, but also some of them didn't have art since third grade, maybe seventh grade. And they're coming to me as a 10th grader 
So I had the challenge of working with students and encouraging students who no longer saw the value because society said focus on test scores or students who are really excited about art, but this is like the first time they're having a true art teacher and an opportunity to really engage. And so self-portraits was often one of the most requested assignments. I always start every year asking students, well, what do you want to create? What do you want to learn about art? What do you want to be able to do with materials? And at that age in high school, realism is something that a lot of students are obsessed with or creating characters. And so portraits was the number one requested assignment. And as a result, I looked for skin tone paints because I was battling multiple barriers, large class sizes where I'm the one teacher in a room of 34 kids, a short amount of time where the class is only 45 minutes. And then, like I shared earlier, students who are coming with huge gaps of knowledge. And just like anything, in order to feel confident in art, you need to be able to create consistently with people who are there encouraging you and sharing the value and importance of it. And so now I'm with a group of students who want to make uh, self-portraits and how do I meet them where they are? And so I set out to find skin tone paints and high schoolers, (laughs) high schoolers in the Bronx are very candid and honest. And so I would try different brands and they would share, yo, miss, like this, this paint is whack. Like when we going to use the good paint, like where, where the, like the acrylic paint at, or, you know, I don't see myself like in these colors, you know, I'm lighter or I'm darker or I, I can't find the right skin tone. And so year after year, I would try a different brand. I would try a different quality. And so that is when I started to go back to that initial thought, like, who's making the art supplies, who's creating it, and who are they creating it for? And so that is what inspired Melanin Series. The initial question of representation in the ecosystem, even down to the materials, to then seeing this barrier in my classroom and thinking, okay, here's a problem How do I bring this curiosity and this problem together to create a solution? And so that's how the work of Stapledon Arts transformed beyond just creating representation of Black and Brown artists and the ecosystem of the art world to now we're creating a material that is also inclusive and representative of the the students and the artists we want to inspire. Understood. That is a wonderful, wonderful example of creating out of lack, creating out of need. And I want to dive in a little bit deeper to hear about the, the history of the Melanin series. Is this your first inclusive design project? And did data play a role in your design inception? And if so, would you mind telling us a little bit about that? 
So, yes, this is the first inclusive design project in terms of a product. I believe most of my design work is through the lessons that I teach the students. And so in creating this product, data did play a role. Like I shared, I've been teaching in the role of art education for about a decade now. And self-portraits is one of the most requested assignments. It's something that you see young children do because it's a way for them to explore identity and see themselves. And so artistic development basically is a study or concept around how students grow in their artistic skills and what types of forms they create. And you go from early childhood in creating the form in the self through identity, and then you move through understanding your communities to larger societies, and it just repeats itself when students reach adolescence because we're always coming back to that cycle. And so knowing that self-portraits was one of the most requested assignments for kids, but also that it's a part of their identity development in art is one of the things that inspired Melanin series. Then working with the population I worked with, again, I taught in the South Bronx and 85% of students in New York City, which is the largest school district in the nation, are students of color, whereas 74% of their art teachers are white. And so there's a disproportion between the students who are being taught to their art teachers and seeing the representation in them, which is a direct correlation to the materials that are being given and the content that is being taught in which artists are being featured. And so being a Black woman who is first generation, I feel like South Florida and New York have that in common, that there's a lot of immigrant populations from the Caribbean and beyond. There are a lot of students of color who are from different language uh, backgrounds. And so the understanding artistic development, understanding the demographics within New York City, understanding the demographics in my school were, were data points that let me know that this was needed. But then moving deeper into the creation of Melanin Series, students were directly involved with the process of coming up with the colors and testing the quality of the paint. And so there was what we'll call customer discovery, students testing it out and giving feedback. So I've had over a core of 50 students involved in that process, 300 surveys throughout the entire planning, research, and discovery. But 50 core students specifically testing the colors, testing the paint, and giving that feedback. And then they were the first ones who were engaged. The second set of people who were engaged was another core 40 Black and Brown art teachers from across the nation who were able to test the paint and give feedback on the quality, what type of finish they would want this acrylic to have. And then there were, like I said, 300 surveys around color theory and race, around 
self-portraits in the classroom and if there's difficulty in teaching students of color around teachers choosing to teach self-portraits using skin tone colors. Because in art, you can use different colors. You can choose to do a grayscale. You can choose to use monochromatic. And so by far, what I've learned is that white teachers tend to steer away from teaching self-portraits because of the concern of mixing the colors. And Black and brown teachers, because of the necessity and the comfortability, have taught themselves how to figure it out, but still presents a challenge because of the limitations on time in the classroom, as well as the class sizes. And so it still was a challenge, even if they did have comfort in mixing skin tone colors. And so I also was able to work with and participate as a part of the School of Visual Arts, Art and Education Master's Program. There was a student at the time that I was doing my research who was creating a thesis on discussing race and self-portraits in the classroom. And so I was invited to share my experience with her. And so some of the data also came from the work that she was doing in her independent interviews for her thesis. And her thesis came out of witnessing younger students, I again teach high school, but younger elementary students working on portraits and overhearing a conversation of a immigrant student who was speaking to a, a white student sharing and saying, I forget her ethnicity, but sharing to the white student that you're so lucky that your skin is white and it's easy for you to create your portrait. And so that's what birthed her research. And so all that to say, there's a lot of data out there. And there's a lot of artists who are doing work around this. So there's actually a book called Race in Art Education by Dr. Joni Okuf. And so she has a section in her book that talks about skin tone color and actually remarks on other brands and how they've approached skin tone color. There's also Another artist who's worked with Pantone and portraiture around skin tone color, Zillion artist, I believe Angela Das is her name. And so I've seen her exhibition a couple of times that talks about it is just a color and how many different ethnicities share the same Pantone color and that the race is just a construct. And so in Doing my own research, knowing the demographics in the schools that I work in, in doing the discovery and testing with students and other BIPOC art teachers, being a part of someone else's ongoing thesis, and looking to people who are doing work, scholarly work, writing books, and doing exhibitions in the field. These were all things that went into the creation of Melanin series. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful and amazing. I really appreciate you sharing how much information, how much knowledge there is available, how much we can use that information as data points 
in either driving forward, ensuring that we're able to find representation and spaces of inclusion for ourselves. And I love how you're on this trajectory to craft the space within education. And you said something that struck me about how teachers who are of a dominant majority ethnic group or race tend to teach, they do know they do know that the the technical aspects of mixing paints or mixing colors to be able to achieve realistic skin tone representation, but they don't have the time to take to then be able to pass on that knowledge within their classrooms. To correct that statement a little bit, they don't a lot a lot. There's there's lack of color theory even in teaching how to mix a skin tone mm-hmm. period and so okay black and brown artists have figured it out because of the representation and necessity whereas it's not taught in art schools so then our dominant ethnic white counterparts aren't even given the tools mm-hmm. unless they choose to learn it for themselves and so for them, it's a choice to learn it, whereas for Black and Brown artists and our educators, it's not because it's a part of our lived experience. And so it's not taught as a foundational tool for all art teachers to have to then pass on. And so then you're left with some people choosing to not engage it. Thank you for that clarification. I was trying to get a little bit more information about that. Is it an inability to take the time? Like, is the time the essence that's not available? Or is it actually even further up the, the, the funnel? Like, is there no capacity that that type of theory, that type of skill has not been taught? And so out of necessity, again, crafting together and putting together something that's missing for a lot of people who are practicing different forms of art. Would you please share some insights on your observations and experiences as a Black artist and that of other Black and Brown students and creators, whether they have access to and representation and inclusion within other places of arts, for example, within visual art spaces. So we've been talking about the classroom and the necessity of even starting at the basics. But once the classroom environment is set up in a manner that people do have access to then be able to to represent themselves and feel included to be able to craft art that feels inclusive of them, what then has their or yours and yours been within larger context of being an artist? Do you see yourself represented? Do you not see yourself represented? Do you see any movement towards opening up to being more diverse, to having more diverse representation as artists, as crafters of a form of knowledge and and skill? For me, I believe that it's complex. And I say that because I have the privilege of 
coming from a space that was diverse and having artists who are practicing in their homes, in their schools, who look like me. And again, as I continue to move throughout my education and move from where I grew up, I start to see that that is not the case. And so what I'm learning is that there are strong communities of people of color. And in South Florida specifically, I remember going to Art Basel before it became a pop culture thing. And it was just about the Miami arts scene and only galleries and practicing artists and museums and and young emerging artists were present. Now it's exploded and become a pop culture thing where now there's parties and concerts and things of that nature there. In that space, there was not a lot of art that represented people of color and not just in the sense of portraiture, right? As much as this was created as a necessity and a response to my students, I have more of affinity towards abstract works and I create more abstract works. And so one thing that I can say is throughout my career, I didn't see a large display of Black abstract artists. There was this idea of what Black art was and it had to look a certain way, be about certain themes and topics. And so it's not just about seeing the representation of Black artwork, but seeing it in its complexities, in its variety, beyond the monolith of what I think has become deemed Black art. And so I believe that there has been communities and that were created. And so in a lot of my research and leaving South Florida, you know, I got to learn about institutions that were created to do exactly that. So, you know, on the National Gallery in DC, we have the African American Smithsonian Museum that that came, I believe, in 2016. But prior to that, there were institutions such as the Studio Museum that came out in, I think, the 60s in, in New York and Harlem. You have the Caribbean culture of African American, of African diaspora, CCCADI is the acronym. They're also in Harlem. There have been African American museums in Philly in Chicago, in, you know, Oakland, in a lot of these chocolate cities, right? Like where we are, we create community and spaces for each other. And so I believe when you, when you're in those spaces, there's a ton of Black artists creating art in various forms. And then thinking about HBCUs that have art programs and galleries and spaces, right? And I think about the Harlem Renaissance and how that was a community of people creating. So I know that there's communities of Black artists. I've learned more about the Chicano art movements, indigenous art spaces. There, There are one thing about people of color, we'll find each other and create our spaces, right? So those exist and I want to amplify them. 
Now, when we start thinking about what is deemed by society as the art capitals like the Met Museum, that is where you see less of us. Carrie James Marshall, I believe 2016, was the first Black artist to have a solo show at the Met, and it was in the Met Brewer. And so, and I went out of my way to learn about these Black artists, because even though I had Black art around me, even Black teachers, we were more consumed with practicing and creating, but not, when I took art history, it wasn't embedded in the art history. The art history is Eurocentric. So who I was learning about, even though I had artists around me who were creating who looked like me, the artists that I was learning about was Eurocentric. And don't get me wrong, there's some of those practices that I, I really adore. But again, even when Black art was represented, you do hear about the Harlem Renaissance, but you don't hear about artists who lived well before that time or contemporary artists who's living well after that time. So it's kind of like in a time capsule. And so right now I know in the Department of Education in New York City, there's a push for culturally responsive sustaining education. And that is not just in the education system. It's happening in museums where people are hearing the alarm of having to be more inclusive. And so they're starting to do it. And you're starting to see more solo exhibitions or group shows of artists of color. And so I think that there is a push for it in larger institutions. But I don't know that they are created with the right infrastructure to do it, do it well, and sustain it beyond this moment. Very, very well said. And I appreciate you sharing that. It, and it also makes me want to to find out more about, even though there is a push now to to be more inclusive and to diversify, New York City and the Bronx specifically, second only to Queens, is such a culturally rich and diverse space. How has your time teaching there influenced your work, your life, and the bridge that you've created between the two with the creation of Stapleton Arts? And how are you using that as a platform to create more equitable outcomes for the future? Yeah, the, the beauty of New York City is you get to experience the world without leaving the city because there are so many different cultures right here. And so while my experience was always rich with Black and brown culture, that was more so drenched with Caribbean culture and Latinx culture, which is still here. But when I started teaching in the Bronx specifically, I was exposed to people from countries from the de- from the continent beyond what I experienced when I was living in South Florida. And so, you know, different religions and and their practices, different native languages being spoken. Spanish is one that I'm familiar with from South Florida, 
and a lot of my students were Dominican, but even the Spanish dialects are different depending on the country that you're from. So having students from Honduras and having students from Mexico and Peru and being exposed to their dialects, the way that they pronounce things, or being able to be a fly on the wall to the conversations the students are having. You know, I still remember one day in my class, my Puerto Rican students and my Dominican students were debating what is the 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 hard part of rice says at the bottom of the pot and what is called in their cultures. And they and them them trying to explain it to me who's an English speaker, right? Being privy to to those conversations or having students from Gambia and Burkina Faso and you know, me like having to educate myself, oh, you're from Burkina Faso, like so I'm going home and looking specifically where that country is on the continent. I think excited to learn not from a movie, not from a book, but from my students and their lived experiences. And then to see it play out in their artwork. And so when we were to projects that would allow them to show their identity, for them to choose which parts of the identities they want to show and not limited to their ethnicity or country of origin or nationality, but for us to really dissect different parts of people's identities and which ones people hold closer to their heart. I have more of affinity to abstract work, not necessarily portraiture. And to see the students be so vulnerable and share and want to create and build and form and dissect and recreate their identity in the classroom is a beautiful thing. And so that came through the diversity of their languages, their ethnicities, their countries of origin. Some students are, you know, coming straight from their home countries and other students is their first generation like me, where it's their parents who are from there, but you're raised in that culture in your house. So that's all you know. And so it definitely influenced me a lot. And I know that in New York City, like you said, in Queens is the most diverse borough. I'm sure it would even go deeper if I was somewhere in Queens. It's exciting that I get to learn so much from people and their lived experiences and not have a preconceived notion based off of what media told me or preconceived notion off of books that may be incorrect. So, Thank you. With falling into, in a sense, creating the spaces for your students to be able to express themselves as fully and authentically as possible, would you say that the ways in which your products and the work that you're doing for representation and inclusion in the arts, would you say that you're intentionally divesting from whiteness as a status quo to create these additional equitable potential futures for for yourself and for your students? I definitely think I'm intentionally divesting, but I think it's more of an addition mindset than anything. 
because again, in creating these products, I started off with the pain point in my classroom and then thinking about the revolution of Fenty and the, you know, foundations that were created as inspiration again, thinking about representation in different industries. And so I was creating darker skin tones. I was looking at darker skin tones, you know, my based off of my lived experience. But again, my classroom and their skin tones were so diverse that inviting students in and having them give feedback, listening to students share and going back to the heart of it being art and thinking about the construct that race is, you'll notice that within the 12 colors that was selected, there are a lot of lighter colors because that's not what determines your ethnicity, your nationality, or your race. Because some of those lighter tones are the same exact tones that the majority in white people wear every day. So I think it's definitely divesting, but at the same time adding a larger, more complex but beautiful narrative of what inclusion really is. And so it initially started with this curiosity and desire to create art supplies. And so this is the first product. And through conversations with other art teachers and artists, they've shared wanting to see these colors in different materials. But also for me, thinking about abilities, thinking about how much further we can go and so I, it's, I don't want to land on divesting because it's then to say that they were the sole inspiration and they, they, they weren't. At all. Not the sole inspiration. I love how you categorize it as divestion and building additional space for belonging and for being. I really like how you put that. We are at our end, but I do have a bonus question that I would love your thoughts on. (laughs) And it relates to using AI or algorithms to expand on top of art. As I've seen trending on the IG recently, there are quite a few artists who are I think entering stencils or foundation pieces of art or or like a basic starting point for art and then having this tool expand on it. I would love to hear your thoughts as to whether that continues to be art representative of folks and then what you think of that tool being able to provide in terms of expanding upon our understanding of who gets to create art and what is art. I've read a lot of commentary and comments from artists and I'm not a digital creator. I've engaged, but that's not my 
way of creating by choice. However, going back to not divesting but adding, I think that it's an additional tool. And when we think of inclusion and access, I know that sometimes working with physical materials could lend a limitation depending on people's various abilities. And so now this creates an opportunity to provide another way for someone who wants to create. And so for that reason, I think that it's a beautiful addition. I think that people who are curious and always interested in learning will try new things. And so I've seen artists who are amazing with traditional materials engage with digital and even AI. I think also as an artist, there's a well of imagination and ideas in my mind. So going back to the question about time, AI helps bring ideas to life in a shorter amount of time. And so thinking about the addition that it provides for those with various abilities, the resource it provides for people who have a well of ideas and limited time, and just for continued exploration for people who may be more comfortable with traditional art, but they want to expand and engage different ways of creating to then go back to their traditional ways of creating to add new techniques. I think that there's room for additions and everyone is free to decide how they are comfortable and excited and want to create. And so it's still art. I I think that like it's amazing that people can think and create in this technological world. That may not be a place that I'm comfortable in. Some of it may come from a lack of exposure and time to create in that way to become comfortable. But I don't see that there's anything wrong with it. There's always going to be a wider gap and barrier for people, which is why I think products like Melanin Series, like it's just never going to go away because there just needs to be multiple points of access for creating an expression and innovation. But I, I think that it's still art. There, there's all, so there's always going to be issues of barriers and the gap in different underserved communities. And then there's going to be the issue of copyright and in, in intellectual property and regulating those things and, and to ensure that specifically people of color who engage are not continuously being marginalized when they do engage in these new ways of creating. So yeah, I think it's exciting. It's a great tool. I think it's there for anyone who wants to do it. I think it's a great resource. I also see the challenges and barriers that come with it. 
I appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. And I have to say, I if it's an additive, then I think it can only be a positive additive, especially if it's providing access to those with disabilities or inabilities to, to create in, in other ways. Of course, it does open us up to asking who is, in fact, the creator, depending on how that tool is used, but love your perspective. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about that part and who is the creator is that now having more people of color being the one that codes and create these AI tools. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So maybe another discussion for another day. Yes, this is great. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Again, I'm the founder of Stapleton Arts. Our mission is to inspire Black and Brown emerging artists and art professionals through art education. So all that we do is to educate people through art so that they can impact the communities around them. And so we also developed Melanin Series that we talked about in depth. It is available on our website, which is stapletonarts.org. That's staple and D-O-N, arts with the S dot org. And you can find Melman series in the shop. If you are an art educator, teacher, nonprofit, providing art education services, we do offer a exclusive price for bulk orders if you're buying like a classroom set. So you can make sure that you email us at partner at stapledonarts.org to learn more about those exclusive prices for people ordering bulk orders. And then I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we will be announcing that it's Melanin Series is also available on Donors Choose, which is a nonprofit platform that allows teachers who may be in underfunded schools an opportunity to create projects on their platform to get the tools and materials they need to serve their students. And donors will then pay for those projects. And so Melanin Series is available for teachers to add to their projects on Donors Choose as well. Thank you very much for joining us today, Charlicia. It's been a pleasure. And to the audience, it's been another episode of Brave Spaces Roundtable. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.